0: has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California Inferior. What a joy, honor, and privilege to be with you all once again. And speaking of a joy, honor, and privilege, right here, right now, I get to speak to a guy who was part of a tag team that I was highly entertained by in the mid-2000s in the WWE. He's one half of the incomparable Highlanders. Here's the one, here's the only, here's Mr. Robbie McAllister. How are you, sir?
1: I'm Robbie. <laughs> I'm absolutely fantastic. How are you doing?
0: I'm great, bro. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to me today. Really appreciate it. Uh, As I said, very entertained by uh, you and Rory's antics uh, in the WWE. But there's a whole story aside from that, which I'm looking forward to learning about. And it always begins at the beginning, Robbie. The first question always is, how did you become a fan of professional wrestling when you were a young man?
1: Uh, Basically, I watched Maple Leaf Wrestling in Canada. Uh, for those of you, I'm not born in Scotland. <laughs> Big surprise, uh, but uh, I watch Maple Leaf Wrestling. I watch some NWA, um, some Calgary Stampede, and some other things on Saturday mornings uh, with my friends. Eh, maybe six to eight, nine years old, and uh, right after the shows, we would start wrestling in his basement on the mattresses we'd put out in a ring. And, uh, basically, um, it's funny. I had, uh, my, my brother's best friend at one time, his name was Daryl, but we called him Bobby and, uh, I don't know why we called him Bobby crosswalk, but, uh, I, I just remember that, uh, I used to say to Bobby or Daryl, I used to say to him, I said, Hey, I I'm going to be, we're going to be Billy and Bobby crosswalk. We're going to come down with science signs and hit." the stop signs and hit people. And, and that's, you know, we're going back to early eighties here. So, (laughs) but that, you know, that would have been cool back then.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. That would have fit right in with the times. Uh, uh, So that's cool. Uh, What point uh, in your life do you make a decision that, you know, what uh, I want to actually give this a go Uh, I want to start, uh, you know, getting my my feet wet. How do you uh, go about getting trained? What's the first step that you take at that point in
1: your life? Well, it it took a long time because I've I've always been sidetracked in my life with, uh, you know, party favors like alcohol. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes it gets me in trouble and it's made me do dumb things. But uh, uh, starting in professional wrestling, I was about this big around. Um, but I had not gotten my start in professional wrestling but I started watching um, I was living with my uncle and I started watching WCW uh, I believe it was Saturday night it was a replay on a Sunday I was about maybe maybe 22 23 years old and it it, it had been a while since I'd watched wrestling because I was playing soccer hockey and doing some other things and it'd been a while since I'd watched it and all of a sudden the spark in my belly started coming. I liked this wrestling thing. And then all of a sudden I started hitting the gym and I just kept saying, I'm going to become a wrestler. And, I, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh it, it's funny that uh, I met a guy named John uh, Vranich, a very good friend of mine. And uh, he was the one that really put the push on me. Um, we watched a couple pay-per-views together. And then all of a sudden we went to an indie show. And once I went to the indie show, like me and him said, we're going to both be wrestlers. He was going to be uh luscious, uh, handsome Johnny V. And I was going to be luscious DC, but uh, that was a whole, that's a whole nother one. And uh, it's funny when I saw the guys coming down to the ring, I was like, I'm bigger than some of these guys. I don't see why I can't do it. And that was right around 98, 99. And uh, that's when I really started putting the push on I was going to become a professional wrestler.
0: Wow, 98, 99, and, and not even that many years later, you ended up in the big time. But uh, yeah, I guess there's a journey to get there. Um, yeah, I, from my research, I, I found that you you got training through uh, Waldo Von Erich. Is that correct?
1: Yes, um, I trained uh, under Waldo Von Eric. And a few of his students uh, at a place called the Hart Brothers School of Wrestling um, in Cambridge, Ontario, uh, not to be confused with Calgary. Um, Smith Hart was one of the owners of the Hart Brothers School in Cambridge. Uh, God rest his soul. Very nice man. A little different, uh, I'd say. Uh, I just know. uh, And then he had a partner. uh, His name was Joe. Um, and also Waldo was a partner and that's, that's how that Hart brothers school actually had a name. And, you know, with Waldo there being somebody, you know, he wrestled in Australia, he wrestled all over the world. He wrestled Bruno San Martino in Madison square gardens, uh, in over an hour long match. So, you know, Waldo has credibility. Uh, so that's how that Hart brothers school actually had credibility at the time. And then later, um, God rest his soul, I was beat up and trained by uh, Johnny K nine, aka Bruiser Bedlam, who was once in um, uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling with Jim Cornette and had a victory over Macho Man Randy Savage.
0: Excellent, excellent. That's very cool. Uh, I-, I learned a little bit about Mister Bedlam when I interviewed uh, Bobby Blaze uh, last year, sometime. Um, okay, cool. Uh, so that's uh, very interesting stuff. I and and I. I, w- I was wondering h- how you uh, came to meet your, your, your future tag team partner who many may know as Rory.
1: Well, Rory, uh, as I don't know, most know, but Rory is an original Scotsman. He come from Glasgow. Um, he come to the Hart brothers school of wrestling. Um, he had a tougher go than I did. Um, I was able to see what it was and what, it, what I could do with it, the place where Rory was coming from a foreign land and basically got hosed and spent a lot of money. Um, You know, he was promised lakes and cabins and all kinds of stuff. And uh, it was a wrestling ring above the the bank of Nova Scotia (laughs) in downtown Cambridge, (laughs) Preston, Ontario it's called. And uh, so when Rory showed up, he was in, he was quite uh, taken back as he had spent, oh, I'd say, I'd say up over 10,000 or more dollars. Um, when you put that in British pounds, that's a crazier amount of money. And But we developed a bond right away. And he had actually injured himself and went back to Scotland. And I didn't think he was ever going to come back. And when he came back, um, we put together the Highlanders. Uh, and Joe Frockledge, the guy that was one of the owners at the Hart Brothers School, uh, he was known as Ike Shaw, a nobody. Um, <laughs> lots of stories of Ike Shaw. Uh, he's he's uh, a legend of folklore here in, uh, in, in Ontario and in Canada wrestling. Uh, I believe he was the merch man for the Calgary Stampede wrestling at one time. And don't ask him, don't ask me how he became Ike Shaw, but uh, that's that's a whole other story. Uh, but back to Rory. Um, Ike wanted us to be. Duncan and Connor McLeod And uh, <laughs> that's a straight rip off from the Highlanders movies. So it was like, uh, no. And McAllister's a very strong name and that was easy. it just had a ring to it and and Rory's a, and Robbie are very strong Scottish names, so we just put Rory and Robbie McAllister together and we are the Highlanders. Excellent. excellent. Uh,
0: so I, I, I guess you guys yeah. You've worked out your gimmick. You make your debut in the, the Ontario wrestling circuit, I suppose you would say, as a team. Uh, Could you tell me about the early days of uh, of the team, uh, you know, working in uh, some of the local promotions there?
1: Actually, the early days weren't so easy um, because Ontario independent wrestling scene was very clicky. Um me and Rory are different entities in a way. I'm a very happy-go-lucky guy. He's a little different than me. Um, and in this business, it's a lot of ass kissing and and politics and, and being nice to people. And and at the same time, I don't really want to kiss ass to be you know to get anywhere because you know I just came out of an eight-year sales career uh, that I done very well at. I'm basically semi retired now. Um, I don't have another job, but work on this house I'm in. And basically, uh, uh, damn it. I lost my train of thought. Um, uh, yes. And, but that sales career, I never had to kiss ass. They, they knew my work ethic. And if I said, I was going to go do something and do it, I did it. And I went and made them millions of dollars. So in, in the end, I, I I'm in a very good spot now because I'm not going to kiss anyone's ass. I don't need anyone's work. I, I can work for myself for the rest of my life. I do still have bookings and stuff. Um, I have aspirations of other things. So, you know, I kind of went off on it, but. I'm...
0: <laughs> That's cool. Um, but yeah, uh, I understand what you mean. It was like that for me, uh, when I, Took the jump for and, and wrestled locally here in Australia. Very uh, clicky and uh, just a lot of oh. bullshit.
1: Yeah, that, that's where I was going to go. So, me and Rory, right. me and Rory actually had to, you put me back on track. <laughs> Rory and I had to, Rory and I had to go elsewhere to, and we basically sent out tapes and we started working in Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, Massachusetts and just kind of left Ontario alone. And, you know, it's, uh, it's funny because, you know, it was better to leave and go somewhere else because you busted your ass and learned how to actually get there instead of in, your, in the little click pool where, you know, you can go kiss everyone's ass to be on a show, but are you kissing the right ass to get to WWE? Cause that's the ultimate goal.
0: Yeah. That's there, especially during that time period, that's uh, when WCW goes under, then that's the only real place you can uh, make a big name for yourself. Uh, But we're almost there, we're almost there. I just wanted to know about this feud that I read about uh, between the Highlanders and the Texas Hellraisers. Can you tell me a little bit about this feud? uh, From my research, it said two years, uh, this feud went around the country. Um,
1: So so in, in Ontario, uh, we made it into Quebec, um, the Hellraisers feud, uh, basically, you know, there was some promotions in Ontario that, you know, they weren't so clicky. So we did go work for them. Uh, we met Pat, uh, Pat Murphy and, um, oh, Tyron, Eric Dawson and, and Scott Chase are the names of the Hellraisers. And, uh, basically it, we fought in glcw which is great lakes championship wrestling we fought um i can't name all the promotions because I, I was a wrestler i really not a mark <laughs> if, if you understand what i mean i, I yeah. don't get i don't get giddy over hollywood people i don't get giddy over hulk hogan i don't get giddy over anybody i'm there to do my job and that's what it, that's I, I i'm one of those type people so yeah, well, I, I don't remember all the names of the companies. Um, but, yeah, we we went all over Ontario. We made it into Quebec. And uh, we've actually uh, spilled it over into uh, into Manitoba. And, it, you know, as for all of Canada, sometimes people think in wrestling they can make big stories. <laughs> you know, I mean, if it was all over Canada, you know, I I'm a more realist. I'm not so... Yeah, I'm a showman and a realist, but I'm not so much a bullshitter. Put it that way. Fair enough. I can tell a story, but I'm not going to I'm not just going to make stories up. Okay. That's <laughs> the type of person I am. That's cool. But I you, appreciate that. You know, you know how you know how people are like people can make the story up and because it's because it's the internet world, people will believe it. So it doesn't matter like uh, at one time, I had a company called Canadian Professional Wrestling, and I had a feud with a guy named John Boland, and we had awesome matches. And basically, I filmed the thing. I filmed the thing coming out of the hospital limping one day, and all of a sudden, we got so much heat that that uh, people actually believed and bought into that he jumped me the night before and he put me in the hospital. And you know, three four hundred tickets for an indie show is pretty damn good.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you,
1: know, you know, on the stage on the stage that you have and you don't have, you know, the avenues that, uh, you know, Vince and AEW and all that money that uh, can put you on a bigger stage. And, and, you know, that could have been a great match in WWE or anywhere. So, <laughs>
0: Yep, yeah, cool. Um, I'd. In I research again, I found uh, a couple of matches, maybe four or five that you guys did in IWA Mid-South. I thought that that was an interesting mix there. Highlanders working in IWA Mid-South. How did you like working to that company?
1: Um, actually, we really enjoyed working there. Uh, Ian Rotten was very nice to us. Um, you know, it wasn't the greatest paydays. But the best thing about IWA Mid-South was exposure at the time. Um, you know, not, not every match at IWA Mid-South was a death match. Yeah. Um, there, was, there was a lot of hardcore. But, uh, you know, at that time, <clears throat> at that time, Petey Williams was down there. Um, oh, I'm trying to think. Uh, there was there's a couple other guys that have been that were in impact and they were hardcore wrestlers uh at one time spider nate jones i don't think he's a hardcore wrestler um but um another another uh kid from down there he came from holland uh a hardcore wrestler but iwa mid south ian rotnick actually had a lot of exposure he got his his promotion out there video wise and people people purchased his stuff cm punk was down there not at the time i was but cm punk was there so when you look at all the names that actually went through iwa mid-south it was a good fit for the highlanders just for exposure definitely
0: definitely i think uh don't realize how important a company like that was during that time where there was only really one big show in town. And I guess I, the independent scene wasn't as strong as it would eventually be. Um, and IWM South is still going. So he, he must've done something right.
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: When, when, did, when was their first interest from WWE? How do you, did you send tapes? How does this come about uh, to, to get contact uh with the company
1: well it's called leaving ontario (laughs) get yourself here's the thing if you want to swim in your pond where the wwe doesn't come and you think you're gonna make it i'm sorry but you gotta go somewhere else you gotta you gotta swim away from your buddies and your whatever you they are i'm just I, i i'm just laying it out flat i'm gonna be straight out i'm not not gonna rip apart anybody but you want to go somewhere you got to leave your pond and you got to go find out where they are looking yeah and plain and simple and at that time dr tom pritchard was the uh, was the talent scout and we had been going out to a place called uh i believe it was wwa and I worked for mike sparta in massachusetts new hampshire uh Vermont and I want to say even into uh, New York state uh we worked down there and Dr. Tom would come in probably every couple months and do a seminar on a Saturday and we we had sent tape uh actually we had a guy that actually got down there um at that day, his name was quinson Valentino whole another story on him quite the character uh but he basically needed some guys to drive down with him and uh we basically sent some tapes down to this mike sparta and he got you know in the kilts we looked good maybe on the gas at that time looking looking pretty sharp and uh mike sparta booked us for two days and basically paid us for one day and said we could do the seminar free with dr tom So, you know, sacrifices, sacrifices, three guys in a car. We come home with nothing, but we didn't pay for the weekend. We got to meet Dr. Tom on one of the shows there. We got his phone number, start doing our work, start doing more, get to know him a little, um, get in front of the right guy, you know, get with the right guys in the ring. Um, Our, I think our biggest push ever for the Highlanders to WWE and Dr. Tom was, the night uh, uh, we wrestled Dangerous Danny Davis and Chris Candido, we had a great match where we didn't call a lot in the back, we went out and worked, had a great night, and they really pushed, uh, you know, Chris Candido was a tag team partner with Dr. Tom at one time, and the, the body Donna's, so, uh, I got that right, the body Donna's?
0: Yes, that's right,
1: yeah. Yes, okay, sorry. Uh, like I say, I'm not a mark. I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm a wrestler. I, uh, you know, I, I know the guys, I don't know all the teams, you know, <laughs> in, in the errors I was watching, I will know, but yeah. uh, I, I love, I love wrestling. It's not that I'm, I'm going ho- I go crazy for Hollywood. So, um, but Chris Candido and Danny Davis, basically we got dr tom's ear and uh we started pushing on dr tom and one week i would call him and one week rory would call him and all of a sudden you know they came to toronto or uh, toronto or london or somewhere and uh we're backstage
0: right cool uh so does this lead to a dark match or a tryout before tv is taped uh, uh, what's the next step
1: um we had went in a couple times and kind of disappointed because nothing really happened. Uh, another time we went in and Rory got in a match. I don't know why they didn't put us together, but Rory put us, put a, came in with someone. They beat him up. Uh, Drac and, uh, I believe was it Luther Reigns were a tag team at that time. Yeah. Um, Rory, they, maybe, maybe they liked me and they didn't, maybe they didn't want me beat up, but those guys might've beat the shit out of those guys. So I was glad I wasn't in there. I think it was, uh, I think it was a one from Windsor. He was That's right. on impact wrestling. Yeah. Um, Rory and a one, I think they got beat up. Um, I got to do, I got to do some stuff with edge, Chris Benoit backstage. So, uh, it, it was cool. Um, never really got a dark match until, uh, we we got ourselves on a show in Pittsburgh, and we were in the igloo in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and uh, we fought Rhino and Tajiri on heat. And I guess we were decent enough to not have to be in a dark match because they put us on television. and And Rhino and Tajiri gave us a lot in that match, and uh, you know I watch that to this day, and it it still excites me, even though we had to lose.
0: Yeah, I I was gonna bring that one up, twenty sixth of July two thousand four. Because, uh, yeah, it is rare, because I've interviewed a lot of guys, obviously, that went through this process. And most of the time, they didn't get to be on Sunday Night Heat. They were just on the dark match for Sunday Night Heat. But this is, was like a rare one for me when I saw. And I was like, oh, wow, like, it seems like they just first shot
1: straight on TV.
0: So that must have uh, meant something.
1: Well, you know, it's funny that we we did that match, and then you know it took us. You said July 25th of 2004. Um, you know I I believe I I just started training at the end of 2000. So that's that's not a long time to be to be there. And and me and Rory looked really good at that time. Uh, we were in decent shape. Um, and you know when we did that match, we we thought, oh shit, this is gonna happen. Like something's gonna happen because they let us, they let us be right. They didn't let us be the Highlanders, but they let us wear the kilts in the ring and let us let us show us what they, what, what we had. Um, but it still didn't happen to, well, it would have happened a year and a month later when we actually got signed, but we had traveled for probably a year and maybe got on a couple of shows a month here and there. And, you know, it, it was a long, grueling process. And I, you know, it was getting to the point,
0: are we ever going to get hired, you know? Right. Um, yeah, 2005, uh, you get signed. That must have been exciting. Uh, five years into the business now, you're in the big leagues. Uh, you go to OVW. Uh, I want to know, how did you enjoy this time? Uh, what did you learn from the experience in OVW? Um, OVW was... Uh,
1: a great place to go. I want to say that uh, once we got there, um, you know, the original thing was we were going straight to television and we weren't going to OVW. Uh, But we got there and it wasn't the greatest experience at the first. Uh, We were having shitty matches. Um, But it's just, you know, people didn't know who we were uh, they didn't know what WWE's plans were with us um if we would have got if we would have got our probably paperwork we would have went right to television because they actually before we were in OVW they had us on house shows in, in WWE before we went to OVW so yeah. that was that was like we were going straight to television and um but when we went to it it was a, it wasn't the greatest experience when we started because we were having stinker matches. And, and as soon as we started having some stinker matches, you know, there's some people down there that might not like this and we're going back to the office and, you know, but that's how, that's how the business works. And that's, you know, it's, it's, that's the business people, people will bury you in seconds and you know, it is what it is, or, or they'll, they'll help you. They'll help you to the moon or they'll, or they'll shit on you one or the other.
0: Yeah. Well, it's always the two extremes. Uh, <laughs> there's,
1: there's no middle and there's no middle in professional wrestling. I'm telling you that right now. There, there is no F in middle, no F in middle. <laughs> uh, I've,
0: I've certainly learned that I think this is about my 125th interview I've conducted. So that seems to be the running theme, uh, I wanted to bring this up because it seemed like yourself and Rory tied to the hip with Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch on Raw House shows, I believe from between the 12th of May to the 26th of August, you worked 19 times with them. That's in my research. The internet could be wrong. It's probably more. Uh, And then there's further uh, more of those matches down the road between the two teams. Uh, after you debut on tv uh tell me about your times working with them tied to the with them you must have learned a few things um about those two guys
1: um to be honest with you uh i want to say they thought we sucked and they only let us do the same match every night oh really right up but i'll just be honest i'm i'm done i'm done being nice and like to anybody like i'm gonna tell it as it is i'm not I don't have to shit talk anybody. Everybody's, you know, God rest Lance's soul. But I believe they didn't think we were good. They would they didn't think we were good enough to even work with them. So we got to do the same match every night. And if we tried to, if we tried to get away from it, they would start being dicks and start slapping us on the back and being pricks straight up.
0: Wow. I was not expecting that out of thought because it was absolute
1: so- asshole, absolute assholes to work with. Well, wow. they, they, I, I, I'm just being honest. I have nothing against Trevor Murdoch today. Um, you know, it, it, people are who they are at their time. Yeah, I don't really care because I'm in a different place in my life. Um, I have no ill will towards anybody. But at of that course. time, complete, complete dicks. And thought, they, they thought they were they thought they should be working everybody else. They shouldn't be working guys like the Highlanders. <laughs> they should be working all the top guys straight up. They thought they were that good and really they weren't.
0: Fair enough. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the answer. I appreciate the honesty. Yeah, it's really no, it's no good. Problem. Stuff. I've,
1: I've never actually spoke candidly about this, but I am done in my life being a nice guy. I'm a real I'm a real guy now. So when I when I say real, I'm gonna call people shit out now. It's before I just yeah, okay, just take it. But that's what was wrong in professional wrestling for me. I was a nice guy. Nice guys don't get anywhere. You got to stab people in the back if you want to get to the top. Don't care. No middle. Yeah, absolutely. No middle. <laughs>
0: and see, uh, this I like it. I like it, bro. Because you know, I just got a real answer from you. Sometimes I can do interviews and. I feel like gosh, I can't get anything, uh, any information. It's always like it was great. This guy was great to work with. Thank you for a very nice
1: answer there for me. Uh, uh, and like like I say, no will, ill will towards anybody. Of course, God rest Lan- God rest Lance's soul. Um, we're all in positions in our life at times that we do what we do, and that that's each person's cross to bear. So. Yeah it's it's it is what it is and uh, you know they did the right thing to, to to stay there longer and make more money yep
0: understood yeah. um before you go to tv you you, you film some vignettes for the debut uh you both must have been excited thinking they're putting time into uh you know uh, introducing us before we go on and work on the shows on Monday Night Raw. Tell me a little bit about the, the the vignettes and and that experience.
1: Well, that's kind of a that's kind of an up and down because, you know, everybody that ever had vignettes basically got flushed down the toilet. <laughs> so you're like, if you come out like outback Jack, he came out they had these these interview like these these vignettes he lasted about six weeks everybody everybody that had vignettes did my friend god love him sin Bode. but he, yeah he he got he got the shit under the stick okay we're gonna call you Kazarni, you know and so it's just the vignettes are just it's It's like the double-edged sword. If you're getting vignettes, you you probably actually want to. And here's the thing, when you first get there, you're walking on eggshells, you're just happy to be there. And if you're a nice guy, okay, I'll do whatever you want. But, you know, hindsight, maybe should have said, can't we just go to TV and work our way up? Instead of, you know, put us in with some guys, let us beat up some guys and show us before we're actually funny guys. You know, let us let, let us show you what you got before instead of vignettes, because vignettes are the curse. Vignettes are, if you get a vignette, you're pretty much, I don't know, I. How many? You you've been a fan for many years. How many people that have had vignettes have won anywhere?
0: I reckon at this point in time, they would do this thing where they would do the vignettes, they'll put this effort in, and then as soon as it got to TV, after about a few months or a few weeks, they kind of gave up. All right, well, what's the next thing? Um, I felt like a few years prior to that, um, a vignette would be good when you'd, you'd see the debut of someone like Val Venus, and he got a massive pop because of all these hilarious vignettes. Uh, and like Kurt Angle as well, he got some as well. and. Uh, he ended up being this great heel as soon as he appeared on television uh, it worked it, it, at that point, but I feel like at this time in the mid two thousands they just I don't know I don't know what it was with what it was with the company at the time, but it felt well, like uh, it didn't work you
1: gotta remember too you got to remember too um, you're just losing the attitude era fans yeah and what they were doing with those vignettes in the attitude era was something they didn't do prior and after and yeah. basically basically they thought they were going to go a little cartoony again after the attitude era because pg rated and all that um but even though it wasn't because there was rated r superstar and and all that kind of stuff but it was a little toned down compared to attitude era stuff and yeah. but all, all the vignettes prior to that attitude era, i believe shit the bed
0: Good point. the the way that you you kind of described it there for me that makes sense. You know the attitude era fans kind of going away because this was like the last couple of years that I was really watching uh, every week anyway. Um, okay, you, you make it to TV as you said, and as so many other people have said, walking on eggshells. I don't know how many people have used that particular phrase, walking on eggshells. Um, that i've had on this show but uh, how did you find the push early on when you finally start appearing on monday night raw and, and and very soon you become the number one contenders for the tag titles
1: um it was it was really cool but in that push um i i believe there was a lot of people working against us um because that's how it is it's a political you get in people's pockets and there's a lot of people working against us um we got the push because vince and stephanie really liked us they liked what we had going on um we might not have did what we needed to do to keep us in their pocket like basically give them ideas for everything every you know write down ideas and give it to them and to the writers and, and try to keep yourself going. That's you have to get in someone's ear to keep on television. You got it. It's something I've learned and you know, it's a hindsight thing. So I know for anything I do in my life, you got to stay on top of it. If you want to get something, you got to stay on top. So if you want to be on TV every week, <clears throat> you got to be in their ear to get there. And that, that's the politicking game, but you don't, if you don't give them the you, they're not going to think for you. You got to always kind of give them something in order to stay there. That's why a lot of people, that's why you if you're given something, you better come up with the ideas for it. Or that's why a lot of guys drift away. They come in for three, four months and then you don't see them again because they're not, they're not doing their job. But a lot of these people don't know they get brought in like, Oh, we got this great idea for you. Well, They, they have this great idea for you, but once they give you the idea, you got to take the ball and make it your idea. You know what I mean? A lot of people don't, it's what I learned. It's what I've the lessons I've learned from wrestling that if you want something, you got to stay on top of it. Plain and simple. You're, if if you're not politicking and all that, you're not going to be on, you know, it's just, it's, it's a complete game consistently. It's hard work. Absolutely.
0: Very, very I got,
1: very off, topic, I? I got <laughs> off topic, didn't I?
0: No, no, that, that's still kind of, uh, yeah, you're talking about your push early on and, 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 and how you felt about maintaining that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when we, when it, it it really sucked because I don't, it's not for me to talk about because I think some other things happen, but that's all, it's all in speculation. and people against us and this and that but it it was really disheartening when you know we got a push and then i believe it was the next night on ron montreal we got beat up in seconds by dx and that was the end of our push uh, And long time along came crime time so we're also victims of the next the next good you know what i mean yeah so there was there was a lot of stuff and the company loved us for a lot of years, but after a while, you know, if you're not giving them stuff, it, you tail out and they're going to start using you up, beating you up every week and making you lose the midgets.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. I didn't watch that earlier today. Um, but yeah, the tag division was interesting at the time. Cause it's kind of like I, from my fandom, I kind of see it as like kind of like the last part of when they actually cared about, uh, a, a team being a team and, and being brought in as a team, you know, L- Lance and Trevor, the world's greatest tag team, Kendrick in London, Crime Time, uh, Spirit Squad to, to their extent as well, uh, the Highlanders, uh, then there's the tag division on Smackdown with... Uh, do and Domino, uh, the heart throbs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then after that, most of the teams that are put to, are just two singles people put together. They gave up on tag wrestling not many years after that, as far as I'm concerned. Um, it felt like they never really gave a shit about giving the division a hot angle, like a blood feud, something that mattered, something that, uh, like like the Hardys, Dudleys, and Edge and Christian, that was so such a hot thing. And now The, you know, heart,
1: the hearts and the Bulldogs
0: exactly it just felt like they didn't get anything like that these days it was all kind of i don't know but
1: it's like they were it's like they thought they were going to do something with the tag division yeah and then didn't absolutely nothing with the tag teams
0: exactly absolutely nothing and then it would get to a draft and they would split let's say the Basham brothers they put one on smackdown one on raw none of them appear on TV. neither of them appear on tv and then they both get released why don't they just keep them together? You know? Yeah. <laughs>
1: not have any yeah, plan no for honest. it.
0: <laughs> anyway, enough of me ranting. I wanted to get to a really cool No, no.
1: It's, it's okay because that's how the company runs. They they <laughs> don't. It's just one of those deals. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, this is a great moment. As far as from my fandom of the Highlanders, I really loved watching this. Uh, September eleventh, two thousand 2006, Madison Square Garden. Monday Night Raw spirit squad cop the loss to yourselves and rowdy roddy piper uh the legend himself may he rest in peace please tell me what this was like for you this is madison square garden this is roddy piper must have been great
1: this was one hell of a one hell of an exciting thing to be with piper um And to be in Madison Square Garden, the Mecca of professional wrestling, pretty much just a month or two after your debut was amazing. Um, But one of the things that probably could have happened was that night, that uh, could have happened, I could have been a little bit of the the shit storm that made the Highlanders start going down. Uh, Might not be all of it, I don't know, but. Um, the night before that, I got shitfaced in New York City, and the next day it was hard to. Uh, they, someone had got canceled out on a, on a, uh, children's hospital thing, so the Highlanders were next on the list, and I was hungover and I stunk like a, a liquor boy, uh, a liquor basically a bottle of liquor and I had to go do a children's hospital thing and and do do it with Linda McMahon and that could have been that could have been one of my that could have been a downfall for us just just to be honest with you I uh I've never really uh, I never really brought that up ever but um you know working with Roddy Piper that night everything was awesome but the, the ship before it, I, it could have got us into the trouble we were in because it was only two weeks later we were in that, uh, we were in that, that match in Toronto at the Air Canada Center for the world tag team titles. And, uh, you know, that could have been, that could have been the start of what happened with the Highlanders at the first push. It could, it could have been my drunkness. And, you know, I, I don't know for sure because no one ever says anything, but mm. I believe I stunk really bad that day, like a liquor factory, and I went overboard, and like I say, uh, alcohol has been a little bit of trouble in my life, and I don't drink anymore, so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair enough. Well, uh, th- thank you for sharing. Um, uh, I-, I thought that this was also pretty cool. Uh, from uh, the 8th of November 2006 till the 12th, starting in Glasgow, Finishing in Birmingham, England, uh, the Highlanders team with Ric Flair and Roddy Piper, uh, and five times you go over on the Spirit Squad in a row. Uh, how was this? this? This sounds like it would have been a fun
1: experience. This was that is actually one of, that was amazing because uh, Ric Flair actually wore one of our kilt, wore Roddy's <laughs> kilt in the ring, came out to the ring with Piper uh because piper and flair were tag champs at that time all right that's where, that's where it was like oh this really sucks where are the two old guys you know the champs and not you know someone like us or and at that time crime time was we were all on the road together crime time and spirit squad but uh you know that's that's some pretty memorable matches uh with roddy piper and rick flair for five nights it's uh so you found out that we, it was five nights that we... Because we did... I want to say we did an eight-day tour or an 11-day tour that week, that
0: time. Yeah, I'll quickly go, uh, look through my uh, information here. But I believe it was five uh, shows. What, what date are we looking at here? Uh, it was... Excuse me. Sorry, 8th of November, 2006. So November, 06. Uh, okay, yeah, it's um, sorry, (laughs) there we go. Okay, Glasgow, Newcastle, Nottingham, Minehead, uh, and Birmingham. So that's the five, Birmingham
1: was awesome. (laughs) I got a great story in Birmingham,
0: yeah, sure.
1: (laughs) So, uh, so I'm hanging out with Randy Orton and uh and Piper that night, cause we're all the smokers. and, uh, <laughs> and um, So we went up, I don't know if it was my room or Randy's or Piper's room, but we started smoking a joint in one of the rooms in the hotel. And then all of a sudden the fire alarm goes off. And of course, Piper gets up and he unhooks the fire alarm. And when you unhook the fire alarm in a hotel, it actually sends out that you've, sends a, a buzz downstairs that you've done it. So right. the next thing you know, security guy's knock knocking on the door and Piper answers the door, you know, the smoke's going out into the hallway. Well, within a minute, the security guy's in there smoking weed with us, that right? he, he calls down and he says, hey, can you shut this alarm off, blah, blah. Everything's under control. I just got to be up here for about 10, 15 minutes. I'll be back down in a minute. I just got to fix this alarm. There's something wrong with it. (laughs) And he calls (laughs) on his radio and we're just popping the joint and having a good time. (laughs) That is absolutely
0: tremendous, bro. Yeah. Stuff. Um, I have to also correct myself. There was another uh, matchup this time without Roddy though, uh, on the fourteenth of November in Aberdeen, uh, just yourselves and Ric Flair in a six-man, uh, sorry, five-on-three handicap against the Spirit Squad. Uh, yes,
1: that was awesome too. That was an awesome night in Aberdeen.
0: Excellent. I uh, just want to make sure that I corrected myself there. Very good. Okay. Um, we've we've kind of already talked about this situation, but I uh, it's in my it's in my question. So. Uh, 12 shots at the tag team titles in total, never won them. Were you ever told that you'd both be in line for a run? Did anyone hint that, oh, yeah, we're thinking about putting the straps on you at this point? Uh, did that ever take place?
1: Uh, yes, it did. It, uh, we were, when we first came in, we were, we were supposed to win the titles. That's basically what we were told. And like I say, it didn't, it didn't happen because we went with the spirit squad and it didn't happen. And like I say, it could have been that, it could have been that drunk night by me that could, uh, you know, cause they just can't got through a bad situation, uh, you know, with drugs and alcohol and all that. And they're starting to crack down and, you know, being a drunk, it might not help. I don't know. I, I, you know, maybe, maybe it's just in my head, but it, it, it doesn't bother me or anything anymore, but it's something in my head that that I think could have been the start of some downfalls. And I was a happy go-lucky guy and I like to drink and smile and party. And yay. I'm not a, I'm not I'm not violent in any way when I drink. I'm just happy go lucky and dumb. <laughs> dumb. <laughs>
0: Seventh um, of January, two thousand eight, Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut. Uh, working with Mick Foley, and of course Hornswogger was Foley's tag partner there for that one. Uh, must have been thrilling to be in the
1: ring with Mick. My neck still hurts from that double arm DDT. <laughs> uh, that that was a lot of fun, but uh, you know that that was the end. That, that, you know, when you're getting beat by the pinned by the midget, doesn't matter if you're in there with Foley and you're getting pinned by the midget, you know, that, that, that was 2008. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're, uh, you know, your time's up. It's coming. Some people don't say that, but uh, I believe when, when you're getting uh, And the only reason I believe this is because I saw what happened to the heartthrobs before us. Right. And it, as soon as, you know, I like, I really liked those guys. They were really nice guys, um, but I believe they were too nice. And then the same situation got trampled on, um, but i saw what did happen to them. And then all of a sudden when they were going in at the end and losing in a minute and stuff like that, you know, right, right after that, one of them got let go. And then not too long after uh, Roselli was let go, uh, maybe three, four months later, Roselli was let go, but I just saw what was happening with them, and I knew that getting pinned by the midget, that's the beginning of the end. Yeah,
0: I I can understand what, yeah, exactly. I um, Me and my friends used to like, we used to hate Hornswoggle because they would always use him, like, if they didn't know how to finish off an angle, like, who's this mystery, big mystery guy, you know, who's the r- anonymous raw general manager or whatever, or who was uh, Vince McMahon's uh, illegitimate child or whatever. They, they couldn't figure it, they never knew what their plan was, it always ended up being him. You know, I'm, I'm sure he, uh, Dylan is a great guy, but... God, when they would do that, they did him no favours. Anyway, just wanted to get that out of my system. Uh, Rory, <laughs> <laughs> Rory gets injured, uh, and I believe you have nine singles matches and you also teamed with Charlie Haas a few times uh, during this period of time. Um, is this a bit of a blow for yourself and Rory? You know, how are you both feeling at this time? You've had the vocal situation. Now Rory gets injured.
1: Well. This is where I believe this is a situation where when Rory got injured, okay, what the hell is going to happen to me? Um, I've always been one that when I start something, I finish it with him. I, I don't like to, go, you know, I'm, when the tag team, went, when we ended at WWE, I went off and did my own single stuff because I knew that I need to live and he did his own thing. Um, but when he got injured, I thought it was a good way to show that I am, you know what I mean? But at the same time, I wasn't going to go behind his back and start politicking to try and do my own thing because that's not how the, per that's not the type of person I am. Yeah. Um, maybe I should have been, um, but <laughs> Rory is my friend he's my brother. I, I love him, you know, and I don't want to, didn't ever want to hurt him that way. But once we were done as a tag team, I would, I, I did my own thing. I never even, you know, didn't try to get booked with him because I, I became a wrestler to be a wrestler. I didn't, you know, whether it was tag team or anything, but at that time, that's what I chose. So that was my business I chose. Um, but it was great to start working because I think my best match, one of my best match ever was, uh, is with, uh, Ron Killings. Um, I believe it is in Rochester or Syracuse, New York. Um, phenomenal match. And actually I just did a podcast last week. And the guy that asked me about it, he thought that that was the beginning of my push. They were going to start pushing me as a singles. Um, maybe they thought about it. I don't know, but that had already happened after the TNA incident. Um, but I also think that Rory's, I believe Rory's injury helped us get another six months out of the company after WrestleMania. Right. Yes. Just my uh, thinking when it comes to when losing to a midget in February or whenever you said it was, and then WrestleMania is coming up, you know, before that, Kali beat us up on television, you know, there's yeah. some other things and that, you know, all of a sudden, I believe and then Fit Finn the, when Rory tore his peck, yeah. we had to lose the fit we had to lose the Fit and Hornswoggle. So not only once, but twice we were beat by the midget. Yeah. So how are you ever gonna effing beat anyone if you lost to a midget twice? It doesn't matter if Fit Finn we helped him or not.
0: Yeah. And and if you lose in handicap matches as well, that's it's never a good sign. Uh. <laughs> no. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> to, to one guy, but uh, uh, I guess the, uh, the, the, uh, the question I'm sure you get asked so many times and I'm sorry that I have to ask about oh. it, <laughs> uh, 27th of March, 2008 is an episode of TNA Impact. You're in attendance at the Impact Zone, you're shown on camera uh, <laughs> and uh, apparently you get a phone call whilst you're there, told to leave, Uh, and you end up losing a WrestleMania pay. This is all through the research. But if any of it's wrong, please correct me. Robbie, what happened?
1: Okay, first off, I wasn't on WrestleMania, so I didn't lose a payday. Okay. I ended up having a great family vacation uh, with my stepson, my son, and my my ex-wife, and her mother. We had a great vacation because... I got kicked out of the WrestleMania hotel. They told me to leave. They wanted me to leave Florida. I said, no, I'm here with my family. I'm going to do something else. First time in my, I was at a point at that time where I had the, I don't F and care attitude anymore. Um, basically I went there subconsciously knowing I, it would get me heat. and I didn't really care. Um, at the same time, It was a dumb move because I think it actually buried me to ever get back to the company. Yeah. Cause I, I really, I tried a bunch of times after to try and go back. And finally at one point, John Laurinaitis pulled me aside and said, Derek, you can't sneak in here anymore. We're done. And then I'd have never, you know what I mean? But I tried because I, I sent them some stuff and I believe uh, one of the things I sent them Bray Wyatt became out of it. So, you know what I mean? So there's, so I did, I had, I had my, I I was coming up with my own ideas to get there, but I didn't get back, but back to the TNA thing. Um, I believe, you know, at the time I I was just in a sales career and I got to the end of that and I had the, the, the F it attitude. I don't care anymore. And when you get to that point, you don't want to be there. You don't want to be around the people. It doesn't really matter what you do and what consequences are if you're, that, if you're in that place in life. when you, you don't like your life. You don't like working for the company. Um, it never went like you had hoped. Um, but years later, when you do the work on yourself, you figure out why it didn't work. And if you can smile about that, that's a good damn thing. I, I know why I know why we didn't work and and I know it stems from being a, a part of me. Um, you know I can I can sit and lay blame on everybody, but the real blame, uh, you know. Rory can Rory can blame anybody or whatever, and I can blame anybody or whatever. But in every story, you're part of the story. You might be only a quarter of it or a half of it but if you can take your blame, that that's all you need. I, I, I can take, I know that shit went wrong, but I know deep down inside, I didn't work hard enough and I was lazy. I didn't give them the reason to keep me. So if you get to that point and be in that situation in your life, you're in a good spot because back then when I didn't care, I, I didn't care if I got fired and, it didn't it didn't matter that Undertaker tore a strip off me. It was a big F you because this isn't working here and you know I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah and, and uh, it, but but I'm not that type of person. I keep I kept it all in and but I just did it and I just went, oh well, what do I say? But if I if if I was in a better place, I would have said, listen, my life is if if, if I would have been the person I am now, I would have said, listen, my life is shit here. You're not doing anything with us. My partner's in, you know what I mean? I would have actually spoke up and said how I really felt. But back then I was a different person. I'd keep my mouth shut, but I didn't care. So it didn't matter what the fuck I did. Excuse my language.
0: That's okay. I'm Australian. We're used to it. Um,
1: <laughs>
0: uh, okay. Because I, I, I was doing my research in this little clip with Jeff Jarrett on his podcast with Comrade Thompson. And they talked about this situation and Comrade as usual, just stirring the pot with Jeff uh, said that Jeff got you fired. And how do you feel about getting Robbie fired from the WWE? Why didn't you sign him to, to TNA to make up for it? Just, just grilling him. And uh, they were talking about, it was about eight months ago. This clip went up. They were talking about maybe bringing you on the show to talk about it.
1: Uh, I I did the show. I did. I did a show with Jeff. You did do the show.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, and
1: you basically with Jeff's show, you have to buy it, correct? Uh, Yeah, for
0: for some of it, yeah.
1: You have to be a subscriber. So um, basically we did have a head-to-head and basically I told him the same shit. You know, I'm in a different spot. I'm not drinking. He didn't get me fired. Right? Yeah. When you really think about it, logically... I got myself fired. I wouldn't if I didn't want to be fired. I would have never put myself in that situation for Jeff Jarrett to put me on camera. So he didn't get me fired. He went, "Oh, what the hell!" In all, in all, honesty, yeah. People, people could say, "How can you? How can you forgive him? How can?" It was me that put myself in the. <laughs> it, you, you know what? If if half the people in this world took blame for themselves, we'd be a better world honest to God, (laughs) because everybody wants to pass the buck on everybody. Poor me, this, that, you know what, do the work on yourself and you'll figure out that a lot of the times it's like, it's like, if you know, on Tuesday, that the grocery store is going to go in is going to be empty on Tuesday. Why do you go on Monday? There's going to be nothing there. You know what I mean? Yeah. If if you go Monday, if you go Monday and then get all pissed off because nothing's there, Whose fault is it? <laughs> why why are you gonna get mad? Because yeah. it's your fault. You know what I mean? I I, I have too many realizations of this stuff. That yeah, half the time you're mad, it's it's your own damn fault. It's 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 weird, but if you think about it logically, just like that example I said, yeah. If if the grocery store is empty on Tuesday, why the hell are you going on? Why are you going grocery shopping on Monday? And then, like, get pissed off because you can't get your favorite steak. or Well, you come on Wednesday when it's full. <laughs> you, know, you know better. It's, it's like every little thing in life that you get mad at. Think about think about it rationally and think about it logically and, and figure out whose fault it really is.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad that you got to have a chat with Jeff about it. Uh, I'm sure our comrade uh, was just trying to wind him up. So it's nice that Jeff... Uh, you know got to have that conversation with you about it. uh 11th of August 2008 the final match uh against crime time in uh, Richmond Virginia um uh so this is like march you know april may june july august so it's 5 months after this uh you have this match with crime time uh how did it feel uh we, we released others oh, to John call you on the phone and say that we, they were going to release you guys. How did the, uh, how did the end come about?
1: Well, um, as of, uh, well, supposedly, supposedly, um, no, I got a phone call in the morning and it was, it was his secretary saying to hold for a, a call from john Lornitus. that's where i should have said you know if he didn't call me i should have just hung up the fucking phone that's what i should have done uh but i got he says hey we're gonna have to let you go and the relief on me the relief and the and and like all the weight that came away from me as soon as i was gone i was it, i had freedom again i was yeah. like oh it was like the biggest weight just came off my shoulders cuz i didn't have to live the live the nightmare of wwe at that time anymore and and just as recent my tag team partner rory told me that i guess he was on the other line and they were still offering him to keep him there so and i just said well obviously obviously you didn't want to stay or because you never wanted it so <laughs> i was like but You know, it's just one of those deals. It's like, you don't have to make it just, I'm getting to the point in my life. Just be true and honest. We both got fired. You don't have to try to make it better because it sounded like, you know, oh, they they still wanted to keep me though. No, we were both getting fired. We were both losing the fucking midgets three months, six months ago. So we were both getting fired. Don't, you know, I know. I just, but that's me. I'm, I'm a realist people always like to make up little stories just to just to feel better about the situation no the situation is the situation because we are who we are we do these things to ourselves well i did it to rory unfortunately but he wasn't happy there either so yeah you know he was he was just at the beginning of having a family and wanting to be at home and so you know that's probably hindsight that's where i should have tried to start going off on my own instead of showing up at tna <laughs> <laughs> but you know it is what it is my life uh, turned out pretty damn good like i'm glad to hear that way. i don't um, I, I i write music i i live in a house i fix it up i'll sell it i'll move to the next one do the same thing i can see the ocean from my upstairs it's beautiful
0: That's awesome, and that brings me to this part of the interview, life after WWE, life after 2008. It's been some time now. Um, Let everyone know out there, all the fans of the Highlanders, what uh, you have been up to mostly during that time.
1: Since 2008 to 2014, I basically full-time wrestled on the Indies. That That was my only job. I ran my own promotion called Canadian Pro Wrestling. Um, I also rented a ring out, drove it around, set it up. Um, So I did do very well off the wrestling after WWE too. Uh, Merchandise was great. Um, But my body started to break down in 13. It was getting a little sore. Um, And I went through a bad time where I didn't know what I really, you know, where am I going in life? And of course, everybody in your life tells you you can't be wrestling all your life. And last thing you should do is listen to everybody else. Totally. Don't listen to your heart and listen to yourself. Don't listen to anybody else tell you because everybody always wants to take you away from everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But so uh, in 2014, I got a a sales job and basically took the odd wrestling show here and there and uh, just recently got back. Uh, I've been doing some over the last couple months you know, one or two shows a month and I'm just working on a house and pretty much retired and writing my own music.
0: Excellent to hear. Uh, well, thank you so much for that. Uh, this has been such a fun interview. I've got one final segment here. Those, uh, uh, It's called Five Second Frenzy. Uh, five seconds to answer each question. Even if you need longer than five seconds, it doesn't matter. I don't know why I called it Five Second Frenzy because it just puts unnecessary pressure on people. Uh, but here we go. First question, who is your favorite wrestler of all time? Roddy Piper. Excellent choice. Favorite opponent over the years?
1: Oh, boy. As, as in a tag team, I think our favorite opponent would be uh the the spirit squad sorry yeah but just a a certain match yeah we did yeah
0: cool and maybe our favorite singles might be wrong killings
1: uh yes yes
0: excellent uh do you have a favorite match you know one from your memory one that you participated in that uh means the most to you
1: um, I believe it's, uh, it's Dave Taylor and Paul Burchill against the Highlanders in a main event South Africa, Durban, South Africa.
0: Very cool. Very cool. A big fan of both of those guys. Uh, getting away from wrestling now, favourite book?
1: Um, I don't read.
0: <laughs> That's okay. Uh, favourite TV show? Vikings. Very nice. Uh, favourite film?
1: Uh, I would say Braveheart.
0: <laughs> Good choice. Uh, favorite musical artist. Uh,
1: uh like a single artist or a band.
0: Uh, both, either or. Uh,
1: uh, Black Sabbath. Um, and then Ozzy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: awesome, bro. Two of my favorites. Um, favorite food. Uh, oh definitely uh ooh, definitely sushi. Nice, very good choice. Uh favorite place to eat on the road.
1: Um Ooh. Uh, one time it was awful house. Waffle, <laughs> waffle House. Waffle Waffle House.
0: That's always the number one answer in this show. Uh three to go here. Favorite beverage. You're a little bit thirsty. You know, what what do you go to first?
1: Well, I don't drink anymore, but it would have been beer before. Uh, But now it would be, uh, I just drink coffee.
0: Excellent choice. Nothing wrong with that. Second last one here for five second frenzy, sir. Favorite female body part. You see a good looking lady. Where do your eyes go to first?
1: Usually the ass.
0: (laughs) Very good choice. I believe our Domoraco. Who I had on the show said the ass as well so
1: well uh, you know why I look at the ass why is because that? I gotta see if it doesn't go pat wider than the shoulders <laughs> that's, the, that's the second thing I go, I go from the ass and if the shoulders are narrower than the ass it's, eh, that's not, it's not for me
0: it's not for you fair enough <laughs> uh, And the last one is favorite curse word
1: uh, fuck me
0: well bro this has been a fantastic interview i really appreciated uh your time uh this was so much fun learning about your journey in professional wrestling and uh you you may have had some ups and downs but uh, you know i think what i When I say things like this, it really means something. I live in the most isolated city in the world, Perth, Western Australia. So in 2006 for you and your partner, Rory, to show up on television and make a fan out of me all the way over here in Australia, it means that you've reached so, so far. You got to wrestle Madison Square Garden, teaming with your favorite wrestler of all time. You should be so proud of everything that you accomplished in wrestling, sir. Absolutely,
1: absolutely.
0: So thank you thank again you. for your time.
1: Thank you for uh, having me on.
0: No problem, sir. And uh, thank you all out there for watching the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA network. I'm California. This is my new friend, Robbie McAllister. and we will down the road. <laughs> thank you.